Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Bickerty Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. This episode will debut in March of 2020. March, as you probably know, is Women's History Month, but March 2020 has a special significance as it marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which guaranteed women the right to vote. With that in mind, and that in spirit, we thought we'd honor this special occasion with a conversation about the library's Women of History series, in which staff from the library research and write articles on women, some famous, some lesser known, whose stories have connections to what's in our collections. So I'm so pleased to have writers and contributors to this series with me today. First, uh, I have with me Steve Graham. He's editor of the series. Steve is also senior manager of programs and communications at the library. Steve, it's great to have you. Hi, Jonathan. Also with us is Alison Lazar. She's senior manager of research and collections at the Mary Bakerty Library. Hello, Alison. Hi, Jonathan. So glad to be here. It's great to have you. And also with us is Ingrid Peschka. And Ingrid is editorial assistant at the library. Uh, she has quite a, a lot of background in editorial and writing work. She's been an editor for the Christian Science Publications, uh, the Christian Science Journal, the Christian Science Sentinel, has contributed to the Christian Science Monitor, and she's been a writer for the Huffington Post. So welcome, Ingrid. Thanks, Jonathan. So great to be with you. It's just an extraordinary thing to start to look at the uh, history and contributions of women and to balance that against how that whole huge area of history has been so understudied and underrepresented. That's really become very much part of my consciousness, in part through working here at the Mary Bakerty Library and most recently being part of something called the Women's Caucus at the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature, where they it made me aware of some specific data. Apparently, on Wikipedia, less than 18% of the biographies are on women. Uh, less than 10% of the people who edit for Wikipedia are women. So there's a lot of work to be done in, the, in this area, and I'm pleased the Mary Baker Eddy Library in its own way is contributing to that work. So, Steve, we also had a podcast episode back in 2017 about this series, and that was sort of in early days. That was in the very beginning. Now we've just completed our 41st profile of, wow. of these different women. It began, actually, uh, at a time when the library was doing a, a feature that profiled any accomplished woman. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, Let's refocus this. What makes this something that, that's for the Mary Baker Eddy Library to do? Right. We decided that we would hone in on women who were connected in some way with the Christian science movement, who, mm -hmm. who were interacting with Christian science ideas. Mm. From that emerged a, a whole new way to look at this series. Mm. Uh, since that time, we've done several educators. We've profiled several journalists, poets, members of British Parliament, mm. a military chaplain, an actress, two suffragists, an artist, a translator of scholarly text, 
a philanthropist, the founder of a Seeing Eye Institute, aristocrats, and many various Christian science healers and women we've profiled in leadership roles. So it has really grown since the last time we sat here together. It really does present a very diverse world. With every new entry, that world becomes richer and uh, has just a greater spread and range of different professions, different life circumstances, different eras, as you say, different parts of the world that are represented. Allison, you are senior manager of research and collections here at the library, and I'm just wondering how your work in that area informed how you got into your particular subject. Sure. With my topic, who is Caroline Noyes, Mm -hmm. she was one of the early workers in Christian science, but she's not one of the the big names that people really know. And one of the things that the library likes to do is focus on untold stories and bring them to light. And I came across her in sort of an interesting way in my role at the library. I work closely with the Mary Baker Eddy Papers Project. Mm -hmm. They are systematically working to transcribe and annotate and publish online Mary Baker Eddy's papers, her sermons, her correspondence. Mm -hmm. And in one of these meetings of the, the papers team, they were looking at a letter by Caroline Noyes to Mary Baker Eddy And it was a horrible letter. It was (laughs) devastating. And I went, this is awful. I'm just going to quickly read um, the beginning of my piece because it's from her letter. She says, metaphysics has been more damaged to me financially than it has income. Through my love of the science, I have sacrificed my home and the companionship of my husband for nearly a year's time. I knew I should have to make sacrifices, but I did not know what I should have to meet. And I was I was devastated by this letter, and mm-hmm. I, I had to find out what happened to her because right. it sounds like she's about to flame out. Right. She's, she's going to say, <laughs> goodbye, this is not worth my time. So mm-hmm. imagine my surprise when I, I read a bio of her that she became a practitioner and a teacher of Christian science. Mm-hmm. She became a leader in the, the new Chicago field of Christian science, right. um, and she stayed with it. She even helped found a church mm-hmm. in Maine. And I just went, wait, okay, time out. I need to know the story of how she went from this is ruining my life right. to so much success. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me into it. And I think that it's a story that not even many Christian scientists know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I like about her is it speaks to more than just the Christian science movement because here is a success story of a woman in a time when most women didn't get to be their own bosses and, and have their own businesses, but she did, mm-hmm. and she was successful. And that's a wonderful story that I think everyone needs to know. Well, if I remember correctly from the article, a lot of those complaints that she had in that initial letter were more than resolved. Uh, her, her marriage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> Everything like, was resolved. Yeah, it seemed that financially she was fine. Um, her marriage came to, back together. And yes. Great story about Carolyn Noyes. So, Ingrid, 
you wrote about somebody quite extraordinary, Florence E. Boynton. And this story took us across the Pacific Ocean to Japan, beginning in the early 20th century. Tell us about Florence Boynton, what you discovered, and what drew you to wanting to write about this individual, whom you describe in your article as, quote, an accomplished educator and self-described born teacher. Yeah, you know, I was initially inspired by the Mio Matsukata article that was mm. published on the library's website. And she was one of the founding members of the Tokyo Christian Science Church and certainly one of the first Christian scientists in the area. She was instrumental in involving more people from her circle, certainly her own family, but also friends um, in finding Christian science and learning English in order to study it. And her story prompted me to dig up my own copy of A Precious Legacy, Christian Science Comes to Japan by Emi Abiko. Mm -hmm. And it's a slim green book, and my copy includes an inscription from my now husband who <laughs> gave it to me when I spent a summer um, during college and traveled from my home in the San Francisco Bay Area, which was also Boynton's home, mm -hmm. to teach English in Japan during college. So mm. my own experience eventually led me to become a teacher myself. And so I had something in common with Boynton. And I think when you have that, you kind of want to dig deeper. It's it's sort of this strange mm -hmm. personal connection. Um, and I spent most of my time on the southern island of Kyushu, which there was no Christian science church there. Tokyo, of course, is on the main island of Honshu. And I visited the Tokyo church at the very end of my stay in Japan. And that experience gave me an even greater curiosity about how Christian science took root in Japan, especially with the distinct differences in language and culture and the religious persuasions throughout the country. Emi Abiko includes an entire chapter on Florence Boynton in her book, but gave me at least a glimpse of who this woman was. But I was curious to know more about her influence in the country and on Christian scientists and how it started. And she, you know, she dedicated nearly three decades of her life to living in the Tokyo area, to teaching English and nourishing new students of Christian science. So I found her story just absolutely fascinating. You know, it's been interesting for me to attend some sessions at uh, different conferences about women as missionaries to different parts of the world, uh, particularly Christian missionaries. And, and Christian science doesn't formally have an initiative of that kind. But some of the things that I saw in common were how this kind of activity could empower women to discover qualities and capacities and actually a kind of advantage in terms of being able to operate in a foreign culture as independent women. Uh, they were, in some contexts, seen as less threatening in that way. Yeah, at that time, when, you know, women didn't travel alone a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. She was never married. Boynton just really struck out, if you will, as a pioneer. And, you know, you mentioned missionary. While the church, of course, the Christian Science Church as an organization doesn't have a formal missionary and, and does discourage proselytizing, it, in, in a sense, relies on the example and the self-motivation of its followers mm -hmm. to carry out that role where their own inspiration leads them. And Boynton certainly did that. I think that took a lot of guts on her part. In the preface to Science and Health, 
Mary Baker Eddy wrote that it is the task of the sturdy pioneer to hew the tall oak and cut the rough granite. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes on to say, future ages must declare what the pioneer has accomplished. Based on that, I think Eddie would have been quite impressed with what Boynton <laughs> accomplished had she known her. And of course, uh, Boynton's travels to Japan began shortly after Mrs. Eddie's passing, uh, so she wouldn't have known about it. But I just find that connection to be especially compelling. In order to put together these pieces, they are typically about 800 to 1,000 words long. I'm just interested in finding out from all of you, what was the process? What did you have to do in order to understand who these people were? Well, in my case, Caroline Noyes was relatively straightforward. Okay. Um, I, I only really had one sort of collection to go to, the special collections, along with the historical periodicals, the Christian Science Journal, the Sentinel, that kind of thing, to get information on her. The The tricky part was um, the papers had not really fully transcribed all of her letters yet, and her handwriting is terrible. <laughs> and she, <laughs> and she, she writes, like, all over the page. It's not— Right. Um, nice and just linear. You know, you have to turn it. Um, but uh, with some of the the other people, you have to dig a little deeper mm-hmm. in the collections or even go elsewhere. One of the, the things that we've just recently started doing with Women of History is using it as an opportunity to build a body of knowledge. Right. So we've We've focused on a couple of women where we don't have necessarily a lot in the collection, but now we we have this article mm-hmm. that if someone wants to learn more about Vida Goldstein, they can come to our website and, and learn about her. Right. I, I know that you've profiled her on— Yeah, yeah, Vida Goldstein, the, um, the Australian suffragist who was the leader of global— uh, women's suffrage there for a while in the, in the early part of the 20th century. I have, yeah. I have something, it's a more recent story, but it sort of springboards on what, I was, what I was, Allison was I was saying. about to mention yours, actually, Steve. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, for a long time, thought it would be interesting to try to do something on the actress Jean Stapleton, who, of course, right, is famous yeah. for um, the character of Edith Bunker in the, the 1970s sitcom All in the Family. And we didn't find a whole lot in our archive directly to talk about her, but we seemed to find uh, some good beginnings. I said I'd like to try that and wondered if there would be a story there and envisioned it as perhaps a shorter one. But as I got into it and started to look in books and scholarly publications and newspaper articles and learned about this woman who was actually very very quiet, uh, and and kept her, her spiritual life private. But when you start to look at the things that she said about her, her, her philosophy, about her career, uh, about why she felt she was doing the work she was doing, it just painted an unmistakable story of a, of a Christian scientist who was going to live what she felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a wonderful introduction to a side to Jean Stapleton that that I don't think has been told anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I really liked about that particular article was that it made use of one of our 
lesser known and lesser used collection, yes. the media collection. Oh, and yeah. so yes. that sort of inspired and empowered me, if you will. I'm, <laughs> I'm currently working on a new Women of History that's going up in April, I yes. think. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. And I'll be writing about the first woman organist here at the, the Mother Church in Boston, and we have recordings of her playing the organ, so oh, I'm, I'm hoping to include those in the article. Great. Ingrid, what, what was it like for you to tackle the subject of Florence Boynton? <laughs> well, You know, I think it's always challenging to paint a realistic picture of the woman you're writing about when she's no longer around to actually talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we have with a lot of these. And so I wanted to give a balanced and unvarnished approach to Florence Boynton's life while also, you know, giving stating the facts as clearly as I could. And those facts were actually difficult to piece together at times putting together a precise timeline of her travels, for instance, was a challenge. That took a lot of work and it took help from the researchers. And and I just couldn't have done this without the expertise of the library's research staff. And I also had to work off of various biographical accounts, um, mostly accounts from her students. What really helped me was Takashi Oka's memoir. It's unpublished. We were able to use it. I was so grateful to his daughter, Mm. Mimi, who who shared it. Takashi Oka was a longtime journalist for the Christian Science Monitor. One of the things that was super touching to me is that after the article was published on the website, I did share it with Mimi Oka. And she wrote back almost immediately. She'd just come back from Japan to New York. And she said, I just read the piece to my father. Now, that was so touching to me Mm. um, that she could read aloud this article about his teacher. Yeah. He authenticated it. He thought it was not only accurate, but he he appreciated it very much. So for him to say it was an accurate portrait as a journalist uh, was, again, a, a nice stamp of approval, certainly for the library to have published something that could be authenticated in that way. I'm just wondering how these um, different profiles of women, how they could be seeds for something else that could go out into the world. Well, I think We already have a leg up because as part of our lengthy editorial process, we do have a rigorous fact-checking stage. And then we also have an outside reviewer as well. So Mm. uh, there's a lot of vetting that goes on with these articles. But I think what's really valuable with all of these articles as a whole Mm -hmm. is you really start to put together a picture of what the Christian science movement looks like, how it has touched different parts of the world and and different aspects of life, Mm -hmm. and how much of that has been driven by women. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really valuable. I found Gene Stapleton saying things uh, that were quoted in a variety of places that showed that she was living her life as a Christian scientist through her chosen career. Mm -hmm. And she was saying it naturally and and in a way that did not sound religious. Uh, And she was expressing it as an actress through qualities that she brought out in the roles that she played. She was a real advocate of women's rights. Her most favorite role, as I understand it, was not 
that of Edith Bunker. It was when she played First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Hmm. And it was wow. because of Eleanor Roosevelt's championing of women's rights, I think in large measure, that inspired her. And, you know, I did uh, watch that uh, Eleanor First Lady of the World is, is the name of it, where she portrayed Roosevelt, and, and it came through. Actually, Jean Stapleton uh, was an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, she was, in 1977, a commissioner who took an active role in the National Women's Conference in Houston, which formulated national policy on women's issues. No matter who they are, whether they're Christian scientists or not, I think that women's voices are so valuable. They're still often marginalized and hushed into the background right. today. And I think they'll be heard um, that much louder and clearer because of efforts like this Women of History series at the library. Ingrid, the other day when we were having a meeting, you mentioned something that I just loved so much. You said that it's like we're creating a network of sisters. Mm. And I, oh. I think that, that that really is what these articles as a whole embody. There are stories all over the place. We're, we're not in any danger of, of running out of them. I might just add to that that in terms of long, longevity of these pieces and maybe what they can do, uh, for the future or what these women are still continuing to contribute. You know, I think it's interesting that the school where Florence Boynton taught that began in the Matsukata home in Tokyo still exists today, including that home. It's larger, but in, it's an international school. And in fact, I was in touch with the, one of the directors of the, it's called the Nishimachi International School. And I was in touch with him during the writing process to find out what he knew about her. And, you know, he was helpful and I've also shared the piece with him, and he's added it to the school's historical archive. So it's not wow. you know, affiliated with Christian science in any way, but they do have it now in their archives since she was one of the founders of the school. Super. So talking about your processes, it's inspired all of you to want to write more. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't stopped recognizing <laughs> the achievements of women yeah. at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Just looking forward to more of this bounty on the Women of History series at the Mary Bacardi Library, which can be found on its website. So thanks so much. Thank you, Steve and Allison and Ingrid. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you also to our listeners for joining us for this episode in which we honored the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment by looking at the Mary Bacardi Library's online Women of History series with three of its writers, which included the series editor. But the Women of History series represents the efforts and talents of many members of the Mary Baker Eddy Library staff. We'd love to hear from you, listeners, with any questions you'd like to send in, which we can follow up on with the writers of these pieces and report back to you in a subsequent podcast episode. You can reach us at the email address podcasts at mbelibrary.org. You'll find that address in the descriptor for this episode. Also there, you'll find a link to a piece in the March 2020 Christian Science Journal that draws on the Mary Baker Eddy Library's Women of History series. It's called A Focus on Women Who Won the Vote. Please join us for our next episode when we invite in two executive directors of Boston institutions, one of which will be the Mary Baker Eddy Library, to discuss how their archives preserve 
history for the city of Boston. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2020.